Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What up, TCK Potters? I'm your host, Scott Guasco. This is episode 198 of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast. Today, we're breaking down the AFC draft recap. We broke that down with Jonathan Rifkin last week, as you heard with the AFC and the NFC. But we're going to be diving a little bit deeper today, Lucas and I, on the fantasy implications of these moves, both with the rookies and the vets in which they are now playing with. Before we get into that, though, let's check in with Lucas. Lucas, how are you feeling, brother? We are finally the last rookie, fully (laughs) rookie episodes. Obviously, we'll still talk about CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy and stuff as we go in through the redraft, but this is it. Uh, we're going to go really in-depth, so make sure you, whatever you have to do, pull out your notebook, pull out your notes, whatever. We have a lot of sort of facts on whether this applies to Dynasty Redraft or none of the above, um, but this will be a good episode, so stay tuned. Absolutely. We're we're looking forward to this one for a long time because we, we kind of, uh, you know, we've been recording again. We took a month off right there after the Super Bowl for some of February and March, but we came back hot in April. And now we're here in May all of a sudden, man, and it is looking like the NFL schedule will be on time as of now in early May. So we are full swing for sure. Um, obviously, we'll be making audibles if we need to uh, moving forward. But as of right now, we're full swing. We're going to be going to three episodes a week coming up in June. We have our 200th episode just around the corner, which is going to be very special. And obviously, we're making new tweaks to the website and everything else. So if you haven't yet, please make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel here. Uh, Leave a comment below on your favorite AFC landing spot. And make sure you uh, leave a rate and review on the podcast wherever you're listening to. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You'll know where to find us, the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast. All right, man. Let's got got a lot of this to cover here where we went quite in depth with the draft overall with Rifkin um, and shouts out to our boy, Jonathan Rifkin again. Um, SoCal prep down in LA and the PAC 12 network and believe podcast crushed it for six episodes. So big ups to Jay. Um, We're going to take a little bit more of a narrow, uh, narrow perspective on this and get into particular players who we think have immediate fantasy value for this year. Of course, you have a dynasty outlook for the most part, so you'll dive into some later things. I'm going to have some more, maybe some redraft focus. So we're not going to cover all of the draft prospects as we did last week. If you want to hear about everybody in the draft, you can tune back to last week's stuff. But for right now, we're going to dive into more um, immediate uh, reactions here to fantasy, both in dynasty and in redraft. Again, we are not going pick by pick. So Joe Burrow is not going to be the first player to recover. We're going to go team by team through each division. So we're going to start in the AFC West with the Chiefs, go down the list, and then we'll go to the East, North, and South in the AFC on Thursday for 199. You can catch us on the NFC tip as well. All right, man, that's a, quite the intro. Let's crack it. Let's get into it right away. Clyde edwards Hilaire. Last pick of the first round, first running back off the board, goes to the Chiefs. Couldn't have been a better landing spot for him or really uh, any other running back. But um, this is kind of the consensus uh, 101 in dynasty drafts at this point. Um, I've got him already in my top 15 for redraft uh, as a running back, just being that Chiefs running back with Andy Reid. Great landing spot here. Um, How are you feeling about CEH right now ahead of Damian Williams, uh, potentially in dynasty and in redraft? Yeah, I mean, they, they came out, uh, I guess when you're hearing this, like three days ago saying that he has to compete for the starting job and everyone's freaking out like, oh my gosh, he's going to have to compete. Well, yeah, he's going to have to compete. Like, it's, it's they didn't draft him and it's his backfield. They just won a Super Bowl with Damian Williams, which Damian Williams probably should have been the Super Bowl MVP, um, but it's just the way the MVP works. He was not going to win it. 
he comes in this year with 159 vacated opportunities, so total of targets and rushing attempts heavily favored to the rushing attempt side, which to me is actually better because he is a very um, like third down um, sort of stereotyped back in terms of like he's going to be a good receiving um, outlet for Patrick Mahomes uh, and Tyreek Hill just to boost the offense. But now that it's favored more to the rushing attempt side in terms of uh, the Sean McCoy, Darrell, or not Darrell Williams, um, yeah, Darrell Williams, maybe. I, whoever, I think there was another running back they had last year that left. They brought in the middle of the year. But that, to me, is better because that means that if he slides in with 159 targets without fully adapting the receiving role I think he's going to have, I think he's going to be fantasy relevant in terms of redraft and dynasty. I've missed my RB like 8 or 9 in dynasty. And in redraft, he'll probably be right around the 12 to 14, right around where you had him range. Um, I can easily see him being a top 12 running back. I think there will be a little bit of uh, like a lull period in terms of when he takes over that backfield because they're not gonna they're not gonna waste Damian Williams on the final year of his contract. They're gonna let him run the ball. He just won a Super Bowl. So in terms of overall aspect, yeah, ceiling ceiling is just rising for him. Next year will be his backfield for sure. Um and that will be like two hundred plus touches in that offense, which would be crazy. I'm sure we'll be talking about him probably as a top eight running back next year in redraft. Dynasty mm. probably top five. Kind of like, kind of like what Christian McCaffrey had. He came in as the number eight pick, eight pick overall in the draft. Obviously, Alaire was thirty two, but he sat behind and that sat behind. He played with C.J. Anderson the first year, took it over end of the year, and then obviously now we have Christian McCaffrey like we do. So I, saw, I kind of see that same um, career path for him, but in a much much better offense. So I think it could be even elevated uh, compared to McCaffrey. Now I would have to imagine he's you know C.E.H. is going to have far less touches an opportunity yeah. than Christian McCaffrey because Christian McCaffrey's basically been the Carolina Panthers offense the last couple of years. But uh, that being said, I agree with you uh, with his effectiveness. Um, I have, let's see, I have him at number 15 right now. So we are uh, super excited. Uh, as you saw on, on the Instagram yesterday, um, we announced that we finally have our first official batch of rankings up. Um, Lucas has dropped his rookie rankings a while back. Uh, we had some pre-draft rankings just to mess around with it a little bit. But we finally dropped our rankings yesterday. Um, you can check them out on the website, tckpod.com. We'll also be uh, announcing them on Instagram and Twitter as well. Uh, but in the first batch, I've got CEH at 15 already i just uh i can't get the thoughts of um of jamal charles out of my head so if we can get that back that would be <laughs> fantastic all right man let's move on to the uh, los angeles chargers they, they pick up my boy justin herbert out of oregon at quarterback and joshua kelly in the fourth round as well so let's talk about herbert first <clears throat> herbert's probably less of a discussion right now because it's it's pretty decided that uh, Tyrod Taylor, a uh, seasoned veteran, is going to come in there. He's pretty much got the starting position unless Herbert just absolutely destroys in minicamp this year. However, because of coronavirus, because of everything else with the season, we're probably not going to have um, our usual uh, minicamps and training camps and whatnot. So maybe a little bit more difficult for these rookies to get the, the work necessary to start. So Tyrod probably going to be the starter. But we've said multiple times on the podcast, we're looking at Justin Herbert potentially in week six, week eight, even in week 10. I hope he just gets in four to six games minimum with this offense before the 2021 offseason and coming into 2021. So I'm not, I don't even have a take on him for redraft this year. Um, he's my last quarterback, maybe taken just to have him on your team if you have a keeper. But in Dynasty, I like to think how you think about him, um, knowing that you're not drafting him 
um, to, to play this year, frankly. Uh, if it happens, it happens, but you're drafting him for 2021 and potentially, shit, the next 10, 12 years. Yeah, so I think in terms of redraft, if you're in a super flex league, maybe he's worth like your fourth quarterback just to stash. Um, not the compared to Drew Locke, but we kind of saw that last year where you just kind of maybe you drafted him. Obviously, he was hurt, so it was a different um, scenario. But then he comes on, gave you two startable weeks and one mediocre week in a super flex league. That's all you really need. So there's definitely maybe a stash aspect of that. Um, but I wouldn't force it by any means unless you're like in a super deep super flex league. But in terms of dynasty, he's my QB three. I could easily see someone having him as the QB two. Um, I like Tua much better as a terms of an athlete or just an overall talent, but that gets capped quite a bit when you come to the NFL. Um, it comes down to how good your team is, um, how good the defenses you are playing in fantasy, stuff like that. And I think that the Chargers of now are better, if not the same as the Dolphins, maybe in the next five years too. But Tyrod's an unrestricted free agent 2021. I can't imagine they bring him back on a deal worthy of competing with Herbert. If they can't, like, Obviously, if they bring him back, it's to probably start because he played really good last year and maybe Herbert just sits another year. But the hit rates, I know we referenced those, are actually really good. I just took year two because obviously this is the dynasty side of it, so you're playing for the future. In year two, top 10 quarterbacks, um, 67% of them finished in the top 18, 39% top 12, and 28% top six. So those are really promising just in terms of, I mean, top 18 quarterback that you're probably going to be, if you're in a dynasty startup, I'd say your QB two at worst. I mean, that's pretty good guaranteeing you'd have two top 18 quarterbacks in year two right away. So I really like the sort of trajectory in terms of numbers just for Herbert. The O-line got much better. They still have kind of a left tackle need, but I'm sure they'll fi uh, fix that by the next year, if not two years. And then, I mean, the team is good around them, even without the left tackle need. Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry for at least this year, maybe next year they sign him back. Josh Kelly, Justin Jackson, KJ Hill, Joe Reed. Um, so it's it's definitely looking good, and his defense is really scary now too. So I don't mind him at all. Um, I I'm a big Easton guy, so I have him close with Herbert. But I that's more of just like a holding in the high hopes because I know that Herbert's going to start at least next year, if not a couple games this year. I do think that one thing in terms of just that aspect of it, the team is good enough to where if Tyrod goes 10-6, and six, I don't see a reason for them to bench him. I could easily see Tyrod leading this team to a 9-7, 10-6 season and making the playoffs. And I I don't want to, like, put this on any coaches, but I think the Chargers coaching staff is, is smart enough to, like, if they're 4-2, and two, not bench Tyrod just because they drafted Herbert. So I think it's – we'll see. It's not necessarily the Dolphins situation where they could be 1-3 and three and just bring in two and bench fits, but I do think Herbert long-term fits really nicely in with that offense. Just to be clear, when you say you have Herbert as your QB3, you're talking about rookie-only oh, yep. drafts, which is kind of the redraft version of Dynasty Leagues. I just want to be clear about that because we are in startup Dynasty season and things. So he's not your yeah, overall no, no. QB3 Dynasty, but he's your your incoming rookies. If you already have a Dynasty team and you're redrafting the rookies for this year, he's your, uh, your uh, third player off the board overall or third quarterback? Uh, third quarterback. He's right around my 107. Uh, right now, but that's because this this skill position class was so loaded. Normally, Crazy. I go quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Like you always take best available, which is a quarterback and super flex. But like I got him in the at the one thirteen in a fourteen team league the other day, super flex too. And I was I don't even need a quarterback, but I just took him because you have to. Um, in terms of overall dynasty rankings, he's right around my QB twenty right now, 
redraft will probably be like the 40s just because we don't know if he's going to start right away or not. Right, and in single uh, quarterback leagues, even in dynasty, he's going to fall way back. I mean, you and I, which we haven't shared yet, we're gonna we just finished up this uh, two week long uh, startup dynasty draft with all these awesome uh, Instagram accounts. We're gonna share that. That's gonna be a whole episode series uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. But basically, we drafted an entire dynasty team, and then we had our rookie draft after the NFL draft, and we were able to get Herbert with our last pick of the entire draft. Um, he was our 26th pick overall, and uh, we got him in the fourth round of a rookie draft. So I like that a lot as our fifth quarterback, I believe. So feeling pretty good about that. All right, let's stick on the Chargers just for a couple more minutes. I know that uh, we want to put just a little bit of mention on Joshua Kelly running back out of UCLA, Joe Reed, wide receiver of Virginia, and KJ Hill, seventh rounder uh, out of Ohio State. But all those guys have the potential, again, with this potentially high-powered offense for a real long time. Any mentions about those guys real quick? Yeah, Josh Kelly, surprisingly, was not who I thought they were going to take. So we have preferenced it before. They traded their second and their third round pick, uh, prime running back real estate, you could say, in this class for Kenneth Murray on the Patriots pick. So one, that signals that they obviously did not care enough to go get, at worst, A.J. Dillon, which I thought they might even try and get a Jonathan Taylor or something like that. So Austin Eckler... He's like my dynasty RB like six right now overall. And I, I want to keep moving him up. Um, but in terms of Josh Kelly, that kind of leaves him in a good role because he's going to be the RB three as of now on this offense. But he's a special teams player, which when it comes down to making the decision between him and Justin Jackson, if they have to make a roster cut, they're going to choose the guy that plays special teams. Especially if Justin Jackson was a the seventh was the 33rd pick in the seventh round uh, two years ago, I believe. So there's not much attached to him. And he's a free agent next year. So Josh Kelly, to me, is basically, like, I don't want to, like, I know we're big on Justin Jackson. We like the role he's going to come into this year. But now that we actually see how the roster's playing out, I think Josh Kelly's going to win that spot, we thought, which is probably 10 10 rushing attempts a game, uh, maybe, like, two catches, something like that. But that's definitely... Even in redraft, that's definitely sustainable. Um, we started now that we – Justin Jackson, I remember two years ago, towards the end of the season uh, when Melvin Gordon got hurt, they had the Austin Eckler and the Justin Jackson. And he was definitely a flex play in redraft. So we could see that with Josh Kelly. Uh, with Joe Reed, he was a 94th percentile speed score, just a downfield stretcher. Um, to me, this kind of is concerning for Mike Williams because he's a free agent next year. I don't know if they're going to pay him. I know we talk in fantasy. He's kind of an annoying subject to talk about because the air yards are there, the or the the opportunities there, but the produ production never seems to click. But he always finishes with a thousand yards. Maybe this is his replacement. If not, I think Joe Reed will win that third position as the on the depth chart. Not much fantasy value. And same with KJ Hill. Probably probably play the slot. Um, he kind of rose up during the Senior Bowl practices. Obviously, the corners in the Senior Bowl were. Not good whatsoever. I think the earliest one got taken um, was like the fourth round. Um, but, I mean, that's kind of expected upon. Big-name corners aren't going to go to the Senior Bowl. So, yeah, I mean, I think the big one here is Josh Kelly. Um, he's probably late late second round, super flex, rookie drafts, maybe even third round. But he's definitely worth a look um, just in terms of hopeful upside. And I think um... – unless you have a very deep roster such as we did in our dynasty league and we actually made this move here so it just we just happened to take a couple of charges just why i'm bringing it up but uh we took justin jackson before the nfl draft and it felt great and then joshua kelly got picked and as we were going through the the rookie draft uh you were making a strong push to, to grab joshua kelly just to make sure a we have 
the definite number two, whomever it is for the Chargers. B, if if Eckler goes down somehow, we may have both running backs, and we've seen over the years with Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler uh, that the Chargers are more than happy to use two running backs. So I thought that was kind of a uh, handcuff of a handcuff. You don't see a lot of the third options, but in, in this particular case, I thought it was great. Um, quick ranking update. I have, uh, I, I think I'm lower on, on Eckler than most people just because I, I want to see how the summer plays out with these three running backs. I've got him at 14 in redraft right now. Obviously, the potential is top five. I get it, but I've got him at 14 right now with some other uh, positions. And then I've got Justin Jackson at 45 and Joshua Kelly at 59. They could definitely get a lot closer as the summer goes but right now with everybody else uh, that's about where I've got them just to give some perspective all right let's move on to the Raiders basically we're talking about the the, the wide receivers here uh, Henry Ruggs Brian Edwards and then Lynn Bowden who um, is officially a running back at this point he kind of came in as a hybrid guy um, quarterback even at Kentucky quarterback running back wide receiver uh, he is officially on the depth chart as a running back of course they might use him in, in um, hybrid sets wildcat formations whatnot but let's start first with the 12th pick overall Henry Ruggs first receiver off the board um, we talked about this in previous with uh, with Rifkin as far as the draft capital and all that stuff but this has to upgrade the Raiders in general and give them a deep threat with Tyrell Williams, uh, but also it's got to help Derek Carr. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll do the receivers and I'll go into Derek Carr because I've actually grown on him quite a bit. So Henry Rhodes, like I said, he is going to be the Tyree kill of this offense. Yes, he's fast. Yes, he's caught some deep balls, but but, he, but that's not going to be the role he's used in. Like I said, Tyree Kill catches deep balls because he runs right past the corner, but they're going to run quick routes. They're going to run screens, slants, reverses. They're going to hand it off to him out of the backfield. That is what Ruggs is going to be. And just to touch on that, Derek Carr, everyone thinks that he – I don't really know where people get this persona that he's good at throwing deep balls because um, he's not. Last year, his average depth of target was 6.55. That was like 38 out of the top 40 fantasy quarterbacks last year. His deep ball completion percentage was 43.8%. And, yeah, I mean, like, that – when I was doing the research, like, I kind of had the same persona, like, oh, that's what they're missing is Henry Ruggs. I saw that – Went back and looked at it. Um, outside of those deep attempts, I subtracted those out, subtracted out those completions. It was a 73.76 uh, completion percentage, which is really good. I mean, like that's top 10 it's, in terms of... It's true breeze. Yeah. So I'm not saying like that's going to be it because they added Henry Ruggs since they're obviously going to use him on seam balls. But if they keep this offense compact over the middle with Darren Waller, Hunter, Hunter Renfro... Brian Edwards played out of the slot at South Carolina, but that's because he was the best receiver on the team. I envision he'll kind of slide out back and forth a little bit. And then Lynn Bowden, listed as a running back, that could be one just to, I don't know. Because like, I think he's going to play both, but maybe that's just to like make him maybe design more to play the running back. But we see running backs all the time go out and play the slot. I kind of envision that role for him too. But to me, um, Ruggs is probably like my receiver 30 25 to 30 range in Dynasty. I don't know if I'll have him a lot. I'm not a big fan of sort of unproven Tyree kills, if you will. Obviously, if he proves himself, then I'll be on board. But I don't like taking risks that big. But Derek Carr, to me, is the huge riser from all this. Um, if you, like I said, if you fix that sort of trying to pass the ball downfield so much, which I think they will, and they were super confident. Uh, they made it obvious they were not taking a quarterback days before the draft not even the day of the draft or after like they were saying that they're cool with their quarterback room and you have Mariota behind them I think that's going to be one competition it's a overall just 
like boost of confidence for him. And now he has weapons. So I think he's definitely, I want to say like a middle QB2 in Dynasty. Um, redraft, I'll probably have him. Uh, it's tough because obviously I have him probably above Drew Brees in Dynasty just because obviously. But then like Drew Brees will be over him. Maybe Rodgers in redraft. So it's kind of tough compared to redraft. But Dynasty, I think I have him as a middling QB2 right now. As far as rugs, I've got rugs right now in redraft. And again, first set of rankings, a lot of this is going to change. I've got him at 46 right now. And he's just kind of in that general bar ballpark of deep threats. Um, so, you know, Mike Williams, Marquise Brown, Christian Kirk, Darius Slayton, uh, John Brown, Preston Williams, Deontay Johnson, some of those guys. So and there's some other rookies in that area too. So again, I think he's going to be successful in this offense, but I definitely need to see it uh, before that happens. And Derek Carr, let's see, I have a, a, I have a note here. I have two columns on my rankings. Of course, I have the ranking of, you know, one to 32 as far as quarterbacks go. Um, but then I have a pre-draft rank. So I made a set of rankings that I just had personally before the NFL draft to see how I felt about people before shit went down with the draft. I think it's smart to have that perspective of how things change. So I had Derek Carr at 31 <laughs> out of 32 quarterbacks before the draft. Yeah. Mariota comes in. They did not have a ton of weapons. They want to run the shit out of the ball. Their defense is getting better, which means they shouldn't be trailing as much, blah, blah, blah. I had him at 31 out of 32 with uh, Jared Stidham behind him as the only one. After the draft, I have boosted him up. 10 spots. I've got him at number 22 now, and he's just behind uh, Garner Minshew, who I could see him potentially passing up as well um, if the Jags don't do more in their pass game. So I am also growing on Derek Carr there. Let's move on to the Denver Broncos, and I'll let you take this one away. Of course, the, the house Bronco fan, as the YouTubers can see. Um, and the Broncos have one of the more impressive drafts, as we mentioned. Drew Locke has skyrocketed as well. Just like Derek Carr, he rose about 10 positions after the draft. Um, let's talk specifically about Jerry Judy, Hamler, and Albert O. Yeah, for sure. So hopefully, giving a year on the podcast, people realize I'm a realist when it comes to this. I'm not a oh, big, yeah, yeah. like, homer, they know. They homer know. guy for sure. So, okay. So they added all these receivers, which is what they needed to do. They needed to – I was saying this. They needed to make a decision – is it Drew Locke or is it build up the defense and play it safe for another year? And they obviously made that shown that it is Drew Locke. That's what they want. So I'm not going to say anything on Drew Locke. Obviously, his dynasty value is rising. I don't know if I'll be taking him a lot because it's still, out of control right now. It's, <laughs> it's insane. Like ADP I, is fucking spiked. Like I traded him, just to give an example. So in a league where I'm competing, I traded him for Tom Brady in the 105 in a Superflex rookie draft. Like, that's crazy. So I ended up getting, like, J.K. Dobbins and Tom Brady for Drew Locke, which, like, obviously, in two years, Drew Locke could be a top-five fantasy quarterback, whatever. But, like, that's the point of that two years, I'm getting a top-eight quarterback and J.K. Dobbins. Uh, completely different topic for startup strategy, whatever. But uh, Pat Shermer is the new OC. We've harped on this before. Um, in his 12 seasons as a OC slash head coach. I use the DLF um, coaching history app. Actually really interesting how it sort of works out. It takes all the data and spits out whatever you want. You can see the, the receiver targets, quarterback passing attempts, average them all out. So his wide receiver one in terms of fantasy finish and PPR uh, in those 12 season, seasons averaged out to a wide receiver 24 and his wide receiver two was 46. So obviously it's a little concerning. But you got to look at it. He was on, like, the Rams, the Giants. Like, it wasn't, like, the greatest weapons um, that he could possibly use. Odell and the whole, like, target hog kind of injured part. But that's still promising in terms of 
he was very productive. And there was a really big gap between like some seasons was like wide receiver nine and 12 and the others were like 40 and 56. So obviously like there is the upside there. They're going to pass the ball a lot. And I mean like a lot, a lot, but they still have Gordon and Lindsay. So I was pumped for Judy and Dynasty when it came to like the, the first day of the draft. Him and Cortland Sutton were going to run away with it. Um, potentially the next Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs sort of comparison. But then they drafted Hamler and Albert O and even Tyree Cleveland, who I think is going to make the roster. Um, and they still have the other guys that were already on the roster, Deshaun Hamilton, Tim Patrick. They signed back the CFL guy, um, Deontay Spencer, who was used quite a bit. So there's a lot of mouths to feed. So in terms of overall dynasty rankings for Judy and Sutton, I, it's got to be like it's got to be like wide receiver twos, but it's got to be like the bottom of wide receiver twos now, because there's so many other guys that would take over him. Drew Locke's probably he's like my 12 in dynasty, but I'm sure he's people's like six or seven now. So it's it's all out of control. Um, but if this hits, like I said, if this offense hits, I watch out because I mean I think it's. I don't want to like be bold or anything, but it's better than the Chiefs if it hits. We have a better defense, like so. It's definitely um, rising up. But if, like I said, if it don't hit, it's gonna be bad. Like <laughs> I don't like who's. I don't even know who our backup is. I kind of forgot. Um, I was saying that this is where I wish we had Case Keenum and Joe Flacco still, just in case it didn't hit. But it, we'll we'll see. Um, a tip I would say would be don't overdraft sort of anyone on that team because we saw this last year with the Browns, kind of the. The persona of having a lot of good players helps everyone fantasy value. It does sometimes, but majority of the time it doesn't. Right. I have uh, dropped Cortland Sutton from 13 pre-draft to 19 post-draft. I've got Jerry Judy, I mean, around 40 right now. He'll probably raise by the by the summer, but I'm just kind of unsure how these rookies are going to fall, obviously, without getting that um, in-person uh, connection with their quarterbacks. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Albert O, I think, is going to be really interesting. Um, Noah Fant is still the dude uh, for right now. I'm not really worried about him. Um, I do have him as my tight end 12 right now, and Albert O could definitely affect that one way or another. But um, I think long-term, Albert O's going to be the truth, at least in some two tight end sets. So, all right. That's a lot uh, of information. Um maybe a third of the podcast already on the AFC West by itself. But I think, you know, anybody that's paying attention here in May and in April, the way that you and I do know that uh, there's this immediate narrative right now that everybody's talking about, which is the AFC West, the Chiefs, uh, well, the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Broncos, I'm sure had a little Zoom call before the draft. Yeah. And we're like, look, all of us are fucked if we don't do something to keep up with the Chiefs. The Chargers decided, okay, cool. We're pretty stacked on offense already. We're going to go heavy on defense, which they did. The Raiders and the, and the Broncos decided, well, eh, we're decent on defense. Let's upgrade that offense. So they're all trying to even out and chase the Chiefs. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, the Chiefs still hold the keys as of right now. But as you mentioned, man, in a year or two, the Broncos, if they hit, the Chargers are a great team that kind of consistently overwhelm. And who knows what will happen with the Raiders, but they are building the weapons to compete. So the AFC West, man, is – kind of going from the Chiefs and everybody else to a potentially pretty competitive division overall. So excited to hear about that. So a lot about the AFC West. Let's get into the rest of it and crush out here. Um, 
make sure to check out our website, tckpod.com, for all of our updated rankings. Again, Lucas and I finally dropped our first official set of rankings where you can catch all of these here, the ones that we don't cover through the podcast. Okay, let's get into the AFC East. Now, the Patriots don't have much to talk about. They had 10 picks. They went three defenders right off the bat here to add to the number one defense in the league from last year. So we know what Bill Belichick wants to do. The only skill players that we may or may not care about ever in fantasy are the two tight ends. Um, Dalton Keene and uh, Devin Asiasi. Do you want to cover either one of these guys? Um, There's, you know, the quick mention of the last time I said this on the last podcast, the last time that the Patriots drafted two tight ends in the same draft was 2011. That's Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. Obviously the Aaron Hernandez stuff um, off the field is a whole nother conversation, but those two guys for the two years on the field together were fucking incredible. And both of them were frankly, you know, top eight tight ends together. Um, do you think these two guys have potential to do that in the next couple of years? Or are these maybe just pieces for the Patriots? I think the only one, um, well, Dalton King's going to play like a fullback sort of, Think of Jacob Hollister for Seattle. That's kind of like what he's going to play. Um, obviously, Hollister got targets just because Will Disley got hurt, and they were just not very deep on offense. But he'll play more of the blocking back. Ossie Ossie is the only one I want to touch on. He ran extremely well at the Combine. Kind of a speedy burner-ish tight end. And it has to mean something that they traded up for him. I don't want to say over anyone else because his tight end class wasn't very like stacked anyways. But they got to mean something. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. He could easily be... I don't, I'm not going to say the next Gronk because that's dumb, but he could easily be a good fantasy tight end for years to come just based off production. Um, I mean, not many players there, and they got a brand-new quarterback. Uh, so it's kind of maybe they get that connection just because they're both kind of new players and maybe they take off, but I'm not buying I'm not buying too much into it. Um, I'm sure there were similar conversations when Gronk and Aaron Hernandez got drafted. People were just like, I don't know who to take, who are these guys type thing. So we'll see um, how that plays out. I think it's interesting that you mentioned their draft capital because a lot of times for tight ends and, and players in general, if they're not in the first or second round, you're kind of like, eh, they're not in the first or second round. Uh, both these guys being third rounders, I think it's important to to just note that I look here with the, with all the tight ends that were drafted. Cole Komet went first of the tight ends at 43 overall to the Bears. After that, though, was Asiazi at 91 to the Patriots, um, and then 101 was Dalton Keene to the Patriots. So the Patriots took two of the first four tight ends off the board. That's ahead of uh, Adam Troutman, Harrison Bryant, Albert O, uh, Bryson Hopkins, some of these other guys that we were looking forward to and we broke down pretty heavily. So, again, Bill Belichick does his thing, but uh, he's generally correct. So um, important to keep an eye on these guys. And, again, we know that tight ends aren't going to produce as a rookie for the most part in a redraft, maybe not even for dynasty for the next two or three years, but um, some deeper names if, if interested. All right, let's move on to the Bills. <clears throat> Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, we got to talk about this right away. Uh, and then Gabe Davis out of UCF, uh, wide receiver as well. So Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, we know that Devin Singletary uh, broke out on the scene last year, really emerged. Um, my guy, Frank Gore, uh, you know. He's going to find a roster, unfortunately, anymore. He might be forced into retirement at this point. However, he was able to get a handful of touchdowns. He was able to come in on those, you know, second, third, and fourth and short with Josh Allen and make it happen because Devin Singletary's five seven. I mean, he's just not that guy, but he is a versatile back. Then they draft Zach Moss, 86th pick, um, coming out of Utah, who is 
a beast. I think he's great. And he is going to be that Frank Gore, uh, you know, goal line guy. Um, I asked you before, but mention it a quick again. Is he competition for Singletary overall, like he will take his job? Or is he a complimentary back where they're going to be kind of a thunder and lightning situation in Buffalo? Yeah, I mean, he's a compliment uh, right now. Um, I'll just break down. They did draft him saying they need to replace Frank Gore, obviously. Frank Gore was, as much as we didn't want him to have touches and be fantasy relevant last year, he was. Um, he had 19 less snaps per game than Singletary. He also played three more games than Singletary. So the snaps per game, like if you weighted it somehow to games played, I probably could have done that myself. But it was a lot more than just 19 less. He played a lot less snaps than him. Uh, but he had six more red zone touches than Singletary. So there's something to say there. Um, obviously, they're going to give Zach Moss the red zone touches. They're not going to give five foot eight, uh, maybe 200 pounds, Devin Singletary the red zone touches. We kind of saw that last year. Uh, towards the end of the season in the playoffs. I don't remember if Singletary got a red zone touch, but they used Taiwan Jones in that Texans game uh, just because you can't you can't give a five foot eight less than 200 pound running back workhorse touches. Like you physically can't, and it's not where they're efficient. So we're going to see Zach Moss come in, probably be the one in the first and second down pounder, take red zone touches, which is perfect for, I know we got him in a dynasty startup league. I'm grabbing him in a lot of leagues because um, he's... He, He's going where he should be early second round in terms of like just rookie drafts because there's not much upside yet. But I think ultimately he could easily beat out Singletary. I think he's a more complete back. I think that if it comes down to them paying Singletary or exercising a fifth year option, they'll say, oh yeah, we have Zach Moss with two more years of a cheaper contract that can catch the ball. That can do everything that Singletary can, just more or less, less electric or less exciting if you say um but by then they could just draft another sort of Devin Singletary so I think there's a little bit of concern because people are rising on Singletary which that's why I always say don't get too don't get your hopes high in between free agency and the NFL draft because that's when that's when ADPs and narratives start to build and they can get crushed in a matter of three days and it happens every year so I think there's that was to show that we all thought they were drafting a running back but I don't think people thought they were going to get probably one of the most complete running backs in this class in Zach Moss. Absolutely. And we're going to get into more of these, you know, top-end running backs, of course, Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, um, as we go through this episode and then into the NFC on Thursday. But, you know, there's all this talk every year, and it's it's legit. A lot of it is legit that the the, the team decided that the, the, the veteran is just not either able to handle the workload or maybe has injury concern or maybe in Singletary's case just can't handle a full workload or whatever, so they bring in a rookie. So we always get excited about those rookies, and rightfully so. However, I do not want to displace certain players like Devin Singletary, um, like Carrion Johnson, maybe, like a Ronald Jones, uh, like an Evan Ingram who got you know maybe taken over for J.K. Dobbins, because those guys are just going to fall in drafts in value. Now, I'm not saying you reach them especially not in Dynasty because their time is limited. However, they might uh, you might find value in those guys in the draft. So just keep an eye on that. Uh, Marlon Mack is another one for sure as well. So Marlon Mack had the biggest dip, which we'll get to him in a, in a little bit here. But uh, I just want to mention that Devin Singletary right now is my RB30. He was 20 before the draft. Yeah. I was super pumped. Uh, mid, mid RB2 with borderline, you know, top RB2 upside before Zach Moss came in but now he's 30 and uh, Zach Moss I slide him in at 48 so just the back end of the uh, 
RB4s there. So we'll see what happens over the summer with him too. I'm pretty pumped on Zach Moss as well. Uh, we'll see what happens there in Buffalo. But uh, I think they will definitely be able to run both of these running backs with enough value. Um, and I don't think these guys uh, hurt at all uh, Josh Allen's value. All right, let's move on. Uh, any quick thoughts on Gabe Davis, UCF? Uh, the only thing is they can cut John Brown next year and save $8 million in cap. So maybe they would do that to so maybe just stash Davis because he's kind of a John Brown similar role in that offense. And uh, surprisingly, John Brown and Cole Beasley both each had a, over 100 targets mm-hmm. last year in that Buffalo offense. I didn't even I don't remember seeing Josh Allen throw a pass last year, but somehow both of those guys yeah. had 100 targets. So uh, I think that's a great call. Johnny Brown, one of my favorite players over the last handful of years, but uh, his time is limited in the NFL for sure as well. So I think Gabe Davis is a good stash there that's not really getting talked about very much. All right, let's move on to the Jets. Um, Denzel Mims, let's just break it off right here. Big wide receiver out of Baylor. A lot of mixed feelings for Denzel Mims. There was a lot of hype kind of pre-draft and then it faded and then it came on really heavy uh, the year or two or the the, uh, day or two leading up to the draft. And then once he landed with the Jets, all of our uh, fantasy excitement just fucking went out the door because it's the Jets and it's Adam Gase and you either believe or don't believe in Sam Darnold, yada, yada. So Robbie Anderson now is in Carolina, which obviously opens up uh, a lot of vacated uh, production there. What happens with Denzel Mims with the Jets? I mean, I probably have mentioned it before. I don't like receivers that break out at the combine at, at a non like the football event, but on a nothing related to actual football, playing football event when they don't show it in college. Obviously, Mims had his, his stints here and there last year because they, they were a good football team that played OU twice and he went for like 100 plus yards in both those games. Big 12 defenses are not good. We saw what Joe Burrow did to LSU last year. Completely um, made me turn off the TV because the game was that boring type performance. But he comes in with, like you said, 154 vacated targets. Rashard Perriman got signed with the team. They're going to kind of play similar-ish roles, you could say. I can't. Rashard Perriman obviously had a good year last year because Evans and Goblin got hurt. I can't see Perriman getting more than... Like 70 targets would be like, like, like surprise me if Perriman got that much. Um... Because Perriman's just going to take Anderson's role. And every year we have the same conversation with, wait for Robbie Anderson, wait for Robbie Anderson. It never happens. It's because it's just not going to on the Jets. So Perriman, like as much as we think it was a good landing spot, it wasn't. But then you bring in Denzel Mims, who kind of plays a similar-ish role, but I think they'll kind of modify it a bit. Um, He'll probably play kind of the, I don't even know, like what to like, like what Quincy Enumwa was supposed to play when he was on the field type role. Um, uh, the, on that DLF, like I said, Dynasty League Football, I'll go check it out. You can search by a coach, so Adam Gase, and I showed up this passing heat map. So in every single game he's ever coached, the, the percentages of passes thrown in, it's a nine, or it's a 12, broken into like three, three, uh, drawn on the screen, three, 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 and three, four levels, uh, line of scrimmage, one to 10, 11 to 20, and 20 plus yards. Um, so 11 to 20 range is probably where Denzel Mims or even higher is going to be rolling on the field. Crowder's going to vacate that middle. Um, it's not good. 51% of his targets, or 51% completion, 64% completion, and 48% completion from left to right on the field in that zone, which is not good. That's not where you're going to complete passes to get fantasy production. So I am probably off on Denzel Mims, not because he can't do it, but because he's uh, Adam Gase receiver. Um I, I, it is, it, not that it sucks because like one of them had to go to the Jets. So I'm kind of glad it's him because he was like the one I was least excited about in terms of like the top tier of receivers. 
but I would advise to to not reach on him and to have a secure backup plan in rookie drafts or on your dynasty team, uh, whatever whatever you're drafting him for. A uh, quick note on Sam Darnold as far as uh, a dot and uh, deep pass rate goes. So Sam Darnold was kind of middle of the pack, 24th in deep pass rate, so 20, 20 yards plus. So 11% of his passes um, with the Jets last year were – uh, over over 20 yards, so um, not the best. 11% is, is not what you're looking for. Um, he's down there with Kyle Allen, Garner Minshew, Tom Brady, Andy Dalton, and whatnot. So yes. another mention with Robbie Anderson really quick. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater was at 7%. Um, now that's, of course, with the Saints, not with the Panthers, but nonetheless, I'm not sure he's going to be throwing the ball very far as well for Robbie Anderson, who's way down in my rankings. All right, let's move on to the Dolphins, and then we'll move out – uh, to the uh, NF or AFC North, I should say. All right, so let's just jump really quickly into Tua. Uh, fifth pick overall, no surprise here to Miami. Um, there's not really much to talk about, I don't think, right now. Again, we're in May. We have, at best, May, June, July, August, September. We've got five months, if everything goes to plan, for Tua to be 100% healthy, to have an opportunity to take that starting job from Fitzmagic. Personally, I don't think he starts until – minimum week four, six, maybe even sits out half the season at least. Um, let's just uh, maybe one-minute take on Tua. Uh, let's say he starts. How are you feeling about him? Obviously, in Dynasty, he's a grab. But in redraft, maybe, how are you feeling about Tua overall? Yeah, I I don't know because that offense is a lack of weapons. And a lack of weapons only works for Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's just going to sling the ball downfield. Mm -hmm. So Tua can obviously – do that but i just don't think he will coming into the league kind of banged up on a rising team but still not that great team so i hope they don't play him right away i hope they wait till me too i hope they wait till next year to be honest with you like let him get a full year and it's not that he couldn't do it if he comes in but i think you let fitz run it out let him go seven and nine let your defense build some chemistry let that new line go let jordan howard and matt bridger just run them into the ground replace your running back next year add a receiver in the draft. I think that's what that's what I think they're going to do because that's what I harped on um, pre-really pre off-season, what they need to do, and they've done exactly that. They had a really good draft as much as people don't think they did. So I hope they continue the smart sort of um, build, build everything around the quarterback before you insert your quarterback strategy. Um, then I will really like Tua. QB2 in my rookie quarterback rankings, I think he's at my 11 in terms of overall dynasty rankings. Redraft, I probably will have him like the 30, probably like the 30 range because you kind of have to rank him thinking he will start, but I probably, mm -hmm. I might take him in like one super flex redraft league just to have him, but I highly doubt I'll have many shares of him. Yeah, and quick note on the Dolphins, they had 11 picks or 12 picks, excuse me, tied with the Jags for the most picks in the AFC this year. Um, they also have 10 next year in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, if they are horrible again they'll have a higher pick anyway in the first round but nonetheless they have 10 picks already uh they got Tua, they got a tackle and then they pretty much went defense all the way down um for the rest of their draft so next year they could certainly look at more receiving options they could look at um bolstering that offensive line and looks like the dolphins man probably not this year but in the next couple of years i really believe that, that the dolphins uh, and the Bills are going to be running the AFC East. So we'll see what happens. All right, let's move on to the North and the South. Once again, uh, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please leave a comment to your best and worst AFC landing spot and share 
and write a review for the podcast. We much, much appreciate your support. Uh, we just had a homie reach out to us um, on IGDM, but he found us via YouTube. So of course, again, as you see our numbers here, I mean, there's nothing to hide. Uh, our subscribership is low on the YouTube. We just started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we're getting it going. So we much, much appreciate you sharing the link and getting the word out to your friends and your family to make sure that you can find all of our content. All right, let's jump into the North here, man. We'll start with the powerful Ravens who, again, I think consensus had at least a top three draft overall in the NFL. Um, they just reload here. Patrick Queen at the top. Again, we don't talk defense, but one of my favorite players in this defensive class in general, and he somehow lands on the Ravens, who didn't need any more help on defense. Then let's talk about uh, J.K. Dobbins and Devin DuVernay. Uh, Devin DuVernay, wide receiver, looks like he's just going to be another compliment in this offense. But let's focus here on J.K. Dobbins, who is uh, coming out of Ohio State running back, who is basically just uh, Mark Ingram all over again. But let's talk about this year and then in Dynasty. Yeah, so I was sort of most of the fantasy crowd. Like, when he got drafted, I was like, oh, come on. Like, really? Like, you had to draft Dobbins. But then I sort of, like – I think it's awesome. On, I, I think know, it's a perfect it, spot. I kind of, like, dove into it. Uh, he was, like, my RB, like, six in rookie rankings. And I was like, wait, no, you can't do that to yourself. He's back, back up to my RB three right now. Um, Actually, might be my four. I don't know. Him and Akers are close. I think Akers is going to have, like, two years of good production and then probably – ruin his legs just like Todd Gurley did. But J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram's a t uh, t free agent in 2022, so they won't sign him back by then. So do you have to wait two years? Possibly, because they do – they obviously like Mark Ingram enough to run him a lot last year, but they can cut him next year and save five million cap space, which is definitely, uh, for a team that has a lot of young talent, reasonable because they're going to have to pay a lot of their young talent. So you have to kind of they'll, – they'll make smart moves with that. They could also trade him – uh, this year or next year just to save that money. Some team might maybe just need a running back filler for a year. But they actually ran two running back sets or personnel, 29% of their plays. So even if they keep him for two years, you're getting J.K. Dobbins, or he wins the job, you're getting Mark Ingram for 29% of the plays, which would still be a good fantasy ad for sure. And then Gus Edwards had 24 red zone touches last year as the backup. So so I'm not, he's probably, the only thing I can say about him is he's probably my lowest in terms of the tier one running backs in redraft. That's probably the only thing I'd have for him that would be like negative. But like if you pair him with Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews, Devin DuVernay, Marquise Brown, even if Mark Ingram's the backup for his career, like watch out. Like it's, you, you can't, no one could stop this running attack last year. And then you probably added one of the best running backs in this class. You added one of the, for sure, one of the best running backs in this class, maybe even the best to that rushing attack. So he has the highest ceiling. Like we know Lair and JT does, but he by far has the highest ceiling out of this class. And I'm super excited for him. Yeah, I agree. Mark Ingram, I was just looking here. Mark Ingram had uh, three red zone touches a game, and he had 46 red zone touches himself. So, again, we know that Lamar is going to run the ball a lot, but the Ravens run the ball more than anybody else in the NFL. And, frankly, I mean, Lamar Jackson surprisingly uh, absolutely crushed last year, led the NFL in <laughs> passing touchdowns basically just to prove a point. So, obviously, he can do it. Um, but this just the makeup of this offense is going to be to run the football first and foremost, and uh, that's going to start with Mark Ingram. But if Mark Ingram doesn't hold up, who's been a very productive running back for his career, J.K. Dobbins, I think, is in the driver's seat to just, frankly, I think, be the most productive running back in this rookie class this year if 
Mark Ingram goes down. Now, of course, Jonathan Taylor with uh, with Marlon Mack and whatever's a conversation too, which we're going to get to here in a minute. But I think that in this Ravens offense right now, I think that actually J.K. Dobbins might have that opportunity over over Taylor potentially. So um, I have Mark Ingram right now at 22. He was at 19 pre-draft. I just dropped him a couple with J.K. Dobbins coming in just because I think it is Mark Ingram's backfield unless he gets hurt or is unaffected, which I just don't think he will be. He had 15 total touchdowns last year. I think he's going to be just fine, and uh, that'll give J.K. Dobbins an opportunity to come in and kind of spell him occasionally, be the new Gus Edwards uh, possibly. Let's not forget about Justice Hill as well. So uh, I've got J.K. Dobbins at 36 right now, Um, so one of the higher uh, rookie running backs there in the back end of the RB3s. All right, let's move on to the Steelers here. Chase Claypool, wide receiver on paper. There's conversation that he might be a tight end. Uh, 6'4", 240, 260, depending on the reports. I mean, the dude's a beast. Actually, let me look at it really quick here. I do have it pulled up. Give me one second. He is uh, out of Notre Dame here, one of the bigger receivers in the class. 6'4", 238. Um, He ran a 4'4", 2, and he had a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical. Um, There was a lot of conversation that he might move to tight end, but the Steelers' offensive coordinator, Offensive coordinator Randy Fickner um, immediately squashed that um, to reporters. So it looks like he will be a receiver, and that's awesome for Big Ben. I think it helps Juju potentially uh, because I just don't know that uh, Deontay Johnson is going to be able to hold up as far as a bigger body, and then obviously James Washington has really panned out. So do you believe in uh, Chase Claypool? A, is he going to be a receiver? And B, uh, is he going to have fantasy value? Who The Steelers have had a knack of drafting, you know, day two second round running or uh, wide receivers of the last handful of years. And most of them have panned out. Yeah. So he's going to play receiver. It's probably the same people who wanted Lamar Jackson to play running back. So just leave it at that. Not much to it. I hate when like he played receiver in college, he tested that receiver. It's because he's big and he tested the best that people just want to like put this imaginary, imaginary scenario of him playing tight end. Uh, but the reports came out that they're going to move Juju to the slot primarily which means Claypool's going to be on the other side of the ball. That's pretty sick, honestly. I agree. I, I was I was like starting to like look at it like, holy cow, he might be another top 12 receiver. But then there was a report saying that they might not even sign him back, which I don't think they will just due to cap space, which I'll go mm-hmm. into Anthony McFarland in the sort of that cap space trajectory. Um, Claypool, I, it's tough to sort of evaluate, evaluate where I have him because I kind of have – I have him ahead of like the, the clear guys like Tyler Johnson – Duvernay, like guys that are probably like not going to see a lot of production but have a lot of upside. But I can't find myself putting him above of like a Mims as much as I don't really like Mims. There's definitely a clear like tier between like Ayuk, Mims, uh, the sort of the lower ones and Claypool. But I could easily see Claypool being a one just because Deontay Johnson kind of sits right around the production he had last year. Washington's just a deep burner. And if they do get rid of Juju, then there's a lot of vacated production for sure. But like I said, they're 25th in cap space right now. Um, they're going to have to – obviously, if they pay Juju, they're going to be even less in cap space, and that's where I'll just go into Anthony McFarlane with the next pick. Brings him way up. So they obviously he's sitting behind James Conner. We all know the injury history, blah, blah, blah. James Conner is a free agent next year. And if they pay Juju, there's not a chance to pay – well, not, probably not a chance to pay James Conner anyways. But if they pay Juju, not to cancel that out, they might not even have – the draft capital to get a top guy running back or the free agency money to go sign someone. So McFarland is soaring through. Um, 
I don't want to say my redraft or dynasty rankings, but like he's definitely like probably the best dynasty stash I've found so far. I already have him in like every single league. Obviously, I was really high on him prior to the draft. He's right around my RB, I think seven or eight, um, probably eight range in terms of dynasty rookie rankings. But yeah, I mean, I think that he doesn't have workhorse size, extremely fast guy, but we've seen the Steelers pull workhorses out of non-workhorse running backs. So I really like McFarland for sure. Yeah, I agree. I was just looking at my rankings here, and I actually just boosted him up a little bit <laughs> while we were talking just because I, I totally agree with you. I, I think he's going to be awesome. My only hesitation with him in uh, redraft specifically is uh, Jalen Samuels, Benny Snell are still there. Now, I think Anthony McFarland's better than both those guys. Different skill sets. Uh, Jalen Samuels is kind of his own, like, pseudo tight end receiver guy. <clears throat> but he can run the ball. He was very effective last year when, when Connor went down. But with Connor's injury history, I, I do think there's a potential that uh, McFarland gets the opportunity quick. So we'll see what happens there um, with the Steelers. But two two kind of sneaky under-the-radar picks, in my opinion, for them, who I think uh, fit them very well. Let's move on to the Browns. Not much to talk about here. Skill player-wise, they did a lot more in uh, free agency and trading uh, than they did with the draft, bringing in Jedrick Wills, tackle of offensive t- uh, tackle out of Alabama, which helps. Baker, of course, I actually gave him a little bit of boost. <clears throat> but really quick, uh, just your thoughts on Harrison Bryant tied in at FAU and then Donovan Peoples-Jones. Picked in the back of the sixth round. Obviously, they already have Odell and Landry, but Odell could potentially move. There's been trade talks-ish, so, you know, half-assed rumors for the last two years. Um there in in uh, in in Cleveland, um, Cleveland has four tight ends already, so I'm not really sure what the Harrison Brown or Bryant move is. Uh, just quick thoughts on both of these guys. Yeah, Bryant's going to play yet again. There's a lot of J backs in this class. I like to call them or the tight end fullback hybrids. Najoku's probably going to get dealt, I bet. Um, so Bryant might just be the tight end two. We've said it before; they're going to run a lot of two tight end sets with Stefanski, but no fantasy value there. DPJ is nothing more than a dynasty stash just in case they do get rid of Odell, which that's like a strong do get rid of Odell because I do think there's – I mean, we, everyone knows how I feel. There's definitely some tension there, and if, if Odell doesn't get his production he wants, like he's gone. We saw also yeah. the Giants. Yeah. He was getting over 1,000 yards, and he complained. Um, so we'll – whatever, a whole different conversation. But I think these are nothing more than dynasty bench or taxi squad pieces. But like we said, overall, the Browns did get what they had, but – I'm going to wait and see until it happens for sure. I personally do like DPJ as a player. I thought he was awesome at Michigan. Michigan's not really a, a throwing school. They're Big Ten, beat you on defense, beat you on the ground game. Uh, but I thought he he played well. And as a third option in this receiving tour, if those guys actually get their shit together with Baker in, in year three here, uh, with Stefanski and cleaning out that clubhouse and whatnot, man, like I think, I think Donovan Peoples-Jones could be a, a real sneaky dude in, in dynasty leagues, absolutely. All right, let's move on to the uh, the almost Bengals here. Joe Burrow and T. Higgins. Uh, my boy T. Higgins, I love him. I, he, I think, you know, CeeDee Lamb was my number one. T. Higgins I, was my close number two uh, just in general. Coming out, we were able to scoop him in our, our dynasty league too, which I was stoked about. Um, obviously, let's talk about Joe Burrow here. So he's the only rookie quarterback of this class looking to start right away. Um, it's his team. Immediately, the uh, the Bengals had been hanging on-ish to Andy Dalton. <clears throat> and just a couple of days ago, Andy Dalton eventually leaves Cincinnati. He signs with the Cowboys, which is definitely a head-scratcher, but that's a different conversation. Um, but Joe Burrow to start right away. Let's talk about him and then T. Higgins. Yeah, Joe Burrow, um, top 12 dynasty quarterback. 
probably QB 1.5 and redraft right around. He'll be right around the Drew Locke, the probably Derek Carr range in terms of redraft, Matthew Stafford range for me. Um, I don't really know what else to break down. He's coming into a lot of vacated production, obviously. Uh, he will throw the ball a lot. They run a lot. Of 11, they ran 74% 11 personnel last year. The Bengals did. Then obviously they're not going to change that by no means. They didn't signal that. Um, and Joe Burrow ran a lot of 11 personnel at LSU. But I'll just go right into T. Higgins. So obviously we said that Joe Burrow most definitely hand-selected T. Higgins. Like I don't even want to – I don't have inside sources, but I don't need it for this one. I know this is how it works. I mean, Kyler – Kyler Murray was trying to get C.D. Lamb at 8 when they don't need a receiver. So the same thing goes for Joe Burrow here for sure. Uh, they just declined John Ross's fifth-year option, so obviously he will not be there next year. And then Andy Reid, or Andy Reid, A.J. Green is a free agent next year. Like I said, they obviously would have signed him back as he was the long-term option. They obviously wouldn't have drafted T. Higgins if A.J. Green was the long-term option. So T. Higgins comes into basically the wide receiver one role next year. I know Tyler Boyd's there, but Tyler Boyd is like, the wide receiver one that will never be the wide receiver one kind of mm -hmm. in a way that makes sense. Like he's going to get the, the hundred to 25, 125 range targets over the middle, but he'll never be like, he'll never be the, the 150 catches, 1600 yards, 10 plus touchdowns guys. That's how he rolls. But Higgins could easily be something like that. So I love Higgins for sure. Um, he's like my wide receiver six in terms of rookie dynasty. It's just hard to put him over the top. The top batch of guys just in terms of immediate production but i love higgins in terms of dynasty sure likewise i'm all about him uh, i do have uh joe burrow's a little bit low for me right now just because again i need to see what happens with the rookies it's just a personal thing we're five months out it'll change <clears throat> right now i have him just behind Derek carr and ahead of philip Rivers, so he's at number 23 for me i could see him easily cracking the top 20 if everything clicks and aj green's happy and comes back and everything but we're not 100 percent sure that's going to happen so for right now i've got joe burrow uh just in that uh qb2 range in redraft all right man let's jump into our last division we'll crush this one out here there's not a ton of players to talk about in the afc south so it should go by pretty quickly make sure you're following us on instagram at fantasy football underscore tck pod and on twitter at tck underscore pod and again visit our rankings that just dropped yesterday on tckpod.com all right let's jump in with the houston texans uh we've made enough jokes everybody else has made enough jokes on the bill o'brien situations new copkins for david johnson yada yada um they didn't do much in the draft either uh, is there anything you want to mention about the Houston Texans, or shall we skip them? Yeah, real quick. So Isaiah Colter, Colter out of Rhode Island, uh, their wide receiver selection in the fifth round just adds depth to this team, but it's promising depth. Uh, obviously, there's Randall Cobb, uh, Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Stills, uh, Kiki Kute. Now him. There's 150 vacated targets, obviously, from last year. So Colter is kind of entrenched in that depth chart, but via sports injury, injury predictor, which is a really good site, uh, I don't, I'm not a big injury guy, so I don't know like how to sort of evaluate the percentages, but Fuller has a 55.4% chance of re-injury this upcoming year, and Cooks is right around 40. So more of just a dynasty stash, but don't shy away from him just because of the depth chart because there is a clear path to targets. And for some reason, Brandon Cooks has been one of the most productive wide receivers in the NFL since he came into the league, but for some reason, one, you know, one reason or another, he's moved on from Super Bowl contender to Super Bowl contender uh, every, you know, 
every couple of years. So there's no guarantee he's going to be there in two years. You're right. Will Fuller is just another fluke injury away from having his career over. Kenny Stills has had flashes, but not been incredible. Kiki QT tried two years ago, couldn't really get it last year. They couldn't find space for him. So there's no reason that another receiver, whoever it is, can't come in. Randall Cobb's getting older, uh, you know, starting to push 30. So there's no reason that they can't um, potentially have some new reliable wide receiver options with Houston in the next couple of years. So uh, in dynasty, I do agree with him in, in redraft. Um, there's six wide receivers on there. I'm maybe targeting two of them uh, on, uh, on the Texans in, in redraft. Uh, let's move on to the Titans. Uh, they go big up front, uh, filling in for John uh, Jack Conklin, who moves on to the Browns. They get um, Isaiah Wilson tackle out of Georgia, which is big, not for fantasy, but that definitely helps out Derrick Henry, which I like a lot. So I was definitely nervous when Conklin moved on. Uh, Darrington Evans running back out of Appalachian State. Um, we talked about this kind of in length with Rifkin. We're not worried about Evans taking over for Henry or really affecting his fantasy value this year. However, um, they you know, franchise tagged him. They didn't want to pay him. Nobody pays running backs. GMs are finally starting to get Lucas's emails that you don't pay the running back and they're no longer doing it. So I'm worried about Henry's future, which is maybe a different conversation uh, after this year to see what happens. And if he leaves Tennessee, is he going to be the same running back in a different scheme? But Darrington Evans, I think, is one of the better handcuffs in the league because if Henry does go down, he falls into a huge workload. Uh, but in Dynasty, how do you feel about Darrington Evans with the uncertainty of Derrick Henry? Yeah, he's just a taxi squad guy. The only concern I have, obviously, you laid out the whole contract and opening in roster spots, but he's just not a workhorse. He's a workhorse guy for Appalachian State. I don't know if he is for the AFC South, a run-heavy division or just the NFL in general. So we'll see. Um, he's going to have Deion Lewis's vacated production. That's probably about it. So maybe he's a good uh, redraft sort of handcuff if you get Henry. Uh, Hen Derrick Henry is going to be the one of the most polar. I'll probably make like a chart of like my rookie or my redraft and dynasty rankings and like the differential because I'm probably going to have Derrick Henry as like RB6 in redraft and probably like 15 to 20 in dynasty. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of those guys, man. Gurley, Fournette. I'm looking at my rankings right now. There's a few of those guys who are going to be top 10 in redraft and, you know, maybe, you know, lower than 20 in, in, in dynasty. Uh, right now I have Derrick Henry at 10. Um, I go back and forth. He's been in and out of my top 12 since the Super Bowl. I just – I had different thoughts. But now bringing in Darrington Evans, again, I don't think it affects him. I just – it doesn't give me upside with Derrick Henry. Um, and – them filling with uh, Jack Conklin's uh, vacancy, though, does give me some <clears throat> some positive there. So I like that. So top 10 for Derrick Henry. All right, let's move on to the Colts. Um, this, I think, was a sneaky, super good draft here, uh, the Colts. Um, Michael Pittman, a wide receiver out of USC, who's one of Rifkin's favorite wide receivers in this class, I agree. Um, Jonathan Taylor and Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason as the quarterback coming out of Washington as well. So let's start with uh, Michael Pittman, and then you can go into to, uh, Jonathan Taylor. We don't need to talk about Eason because obviously it's Philip Rivers unless he gets hurt or retires. So that's a dynasty stash. But Michael Pittman is should be slotted to be at least the number two. And if T.Y. Hilton uh, gets old or gets hurt, Michael Pittman would be the number one there quickly. And then Jonathan Taylor, who 
is the one B at worst. Uh, he could be a league winner potentially in the second half of the year behind this offensive line. Yeah. So Michael Pittman is 80 vacated targets. Obviously it's a little inflated because T Y got hurt, but T Y could easily re get hurt. But Frank Reich loves him. I mean, like there was like Twitter videos all over. Like he was saying like, like this is the guy, whatever. Like it's, it's his guy. Obviously, you know how I feel about the whole Colts organization getting their guys, but then he comes in, the coach loves him. I kind of comped him to like this year's AJ Brown in a sense. Um, maybe kind of how that will play out. But I mean, running, he's my, my wide receiver. I think I have him ahead of Higgins in terms of my dynasty receiver rankings. But overall, I really love him uh, for dynasty. Probably even redraft too. I might take him a little bit here and there. And then Jonathan Taylor, uh, like we've kind of broke down all the same things. Uh, Mac will stay there just because no training camp or OTAs. So they can, he'll be a free agent next year. They won't sign him back. But it might be of a slow build-up process to the the workhorse. I've got Jonathan Taylor at uh, running back twenty-one right now, and I moved Marlon Mack all the way down to thirty-one. Marlon Mack was seventeen before the draft for me. After the draft, thirty-one. Jonathan Taylor, twenty-one. I agree with you. I think Marlon Mack's a starter for. Well, maybe the entire season, if he's healthy, he's the starter-ish. But I, I kind of think about this as the 49ers last year where, fuck, dude, it would drive me insane as a 49er fan. But Tevin Coleman would start every game and get the first touch and he would get the first three drives and blah, blah, blah. And he would be all right, but, you know, not as good as you should have been behind that offensive line and with the play calling. And then in the second half, Raheem Mostert or Matt Breida or even Jeff Wilson would come out of nowhere and take over the second half of the game, and Devin, or, uh, Tevin Coleman was nowhere to be found. I think that happens with the Colts here this year where Marlon Mack is going to start games. He's definitely going to start the first half of the season. But once they see what, the, what Jonathan Taylor can do behind this offensive line, I think it's quickly going to turn, and Jonathan Taylor will probably be the starter uh, in the second half of the season. So this year... I'm, and I asked you this on the previous podcast, but in case anybody hasn't heard it, really quickly, redraft, are you – I mean, either one of these guys is great to have on your roster. Maybe both of them if you can get value now with Mac falling. But if you were to target one of these guys in redraft, who would it be, Mac or Taylor? This year, redraft. Oh, gosh. Um, both ways. I, I, Mac because I can get him at a better discount, but I think Taylor just because I can probably draft around in terms of like I can draft – production in the first five or six games possibly type type situation but probably like in terms of like realistically probably neither um i'll pivot, mm. like i said i'll pivot to a layer who'll have a similar adp because i think that even without the carries he's still going to catch a lot of balls but um it's kind of it's kind of just a situation where like i wasn't over david montgomery because Tariq cohen's still going to play obviously it's completely two different different backs but kind of a similar sort of path to production all right. And actually, I kind of feel the other way. If I can get value, if I could get, you know, in, in redraft, if I had two stud receivers or if I had, I don't know, uh, maybe an early draft, like say I had, you know, one of the top three or four running backs and then I got maybe, I don't know, Chris Godwin or something or Tyreek Hill as my wide receiver on, on the turn, then I might reach for Jonathan Taylor early just to take the upside to see what happens with some of these. I mean, we've seen rookies come out and be nuts in their first year, right? Zeke and, and Saquon and whatnot. Um and then Mac is plummeting right now because people are scared. And again, I am aware of that. I want people to take that seriously. However, if you end up with Marlon Mack in the sixth, seventh, eighth round or something like that, um, I'll take him 
over those, you know, starting to find backups and stuff like that back, back in the in redraft. Now, Dynasty, obviously, it's Jonathan Taylor all day, uh, but I do like Marlon Mack to get some value in redraft. All right, last team, man, and we'll get out of here. We are looking at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Again, I mentioned earlier with the Miami Dolphins, the Jags were tied with 12 picks, uh, the most in the AFC. Um, six of the first eight were on defense, so there's not a lot to talk about here for the Jaguars, but I do want to cover LaVisca Chenault. Uh, 42nd pick in the second round. And then maybe Colin uh, Thomas out of Texas, if you have anything there. But basically what I'm saying is they brought in two new receivers, um, DJ Chark, DJ Westbrook, and then kind of a, a, a blank canvas there for uh, Garner Minshew, who Garner Minshew, if you compare the stats, um, and I'll bring up some things here while you're talking, but had a comparable, if not better season than Kyler Murray in many, many categories. Um so I think that's important to take into this year's consideration. But uh, throw down LaVisca Chenault for me and Colin Thomas, if you have anything to say about him. As well. Yeah, so LaVisca Chenault, I drafted him on a lot of rookie drafts that I had this past week, weekend. He is an interesting guy to break down. Um, Jay Gruden came out, or not Jay, or shoot, over their head coaches. I can't think of their name. Marone, maybe. Came Doug out, Marone, yeah. He, yeah, he came out and said that last, so like not this draft, but last year's draft, like the day after that like process, Chenault was the number one receiver in this class. He was with a lot of guys, and then he got injured, whatever. Colorado uh, was not good, but they're going to use him in the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end role. He plays it all like he did in college, wildcat running back, wildcat quarterback, receiver, tight end. Um, but he's more of a dynasty guy to me than a redraft. Um, Keelan Cole, D.D. Westbrook and Chris Conley are all free agents in 2021. If Chenault pans out, they have Colin Johnson on his rookie deal and DJ Charks there. They have no need to bring back those three just like decent receivers. So I think that the, the dynasty aspect is huge. Um, everyone used Debo Samuel as the comp because Debo Samuel had like four carries in the Super Bowl because like the last player they had in their mind. But if they can use him as like a taller Tariq Cohen, which I think they're going to, I think his ceiling is huge. Redraft, though, I'll probably stay off of it because I'll probably stay off of the Jaguars and most redraft anyways, but I don't want a limited touches player on a bad offense in terms of like just a redraft uh, sort of strategy around that. I agree, and we'll see what happens with the Jags. I mean, obviously their franchise is just a fucking train wreck right now. I mean, they didn't pick up Leonard Fournette's fifth-year option, which I understand, but I think that's dumb. Uh, they don't really have the guy behind them. They have three other running backs that might work out. Gardner Minshew is super fun, but we'll see if he's the real deal this year. Um, and their whole defense, which was the best defense in a decade – two years ago or three years ago is completely fucking imploded and starting over. So we'll see what happens. They drafted an entirely new defense. So we'll see what happens in Jacksonville. And I don't think them taking maybe a shot on Cam Newton is out of the question at this point still too, but we'll see what happens. Um, quick comparison with Garner Minshew and Kyler Murray really quick here, just because I found this pretty interesting uh, when I was doing some research here. So Garner Minshew is my 21st redraft quarterback. Um, so not super stoked on him. I'd grab him as a backup in two QB leagues. I think he'd be great for upside. Kyler Murray is number five for me, and I think I'm one or two spots lower than most people. So Kyler Murray's at five, and Garner Minshew is at 21. Um, <clears throat> let's see here. Minshew threw roughly 450 less yards than Kyler Murray, but he played two less games. So two less games at, or two more games average. Arnold Minshew would have covered those 450 yards from Kyler Murray. 
Kyler Murray had 20 touchdowns and tw- and 12 interceptions. 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Garner Minshew had 21 touchdowns and six interceptions. So half the interceptions, one more touchdown for Garner Minshew over Kyler Murray. I'm not saying that Garner Minshew per se is better than Kyler Murray. I'm just saying that when you compare their rookie seasons, they were comparable. Uh, he can also run the ball a little bit, obviously not as much as Kyler Murray, um, but he can move the ball as well. Kyler has a much better offensive scheme, a much better offense in general, uh, weapons all around him. So I expect Kyler Murray to uh, significantly outpace Garner Minshew. I'm just mentioning that Garner Minshew, if he gets the weapons, I think could be adequate as well uh, in his second, third, fourth year. So maybe a, a dynasty grab there. Okay, man, that breaks down the AFC uh, fantasy recap. We're going to get into the NFC, of course, coming up on Thursday. Um, this is kind of, again, we're going to be talking about all these AFC guys and all these rookies in general going through the summer, but kind of feels nice to uh, rinse this out of the system, huh? I know that you've been sure. covering a lot of rookie stuff for you. Uh, why don't you make a mention here where we've got these last two podcasts where we're focusing on it. Uh, make a mention of the Fantasy Stock Exchange rookie draft guide that just dropped. You and your team, uh, myself included, our commish homies, a lot of people involved with this uh, draft kit, and it is free right now. So I highly recommend everybody listen to Lucas here and go pop yourself a rookie draft guide. Yep, FSE, the letters, draftguide.com, totally free. Uh, a lot of cool stuff on there. Just go. I won't even break it all down. Just go check it out. You won't find it not worth your time, I guess you could say. But, yeah, go check it out, FSE, draftguide.com. Lucas is being humble per usual. It's a fucking incredible website that has all of the rankings from a lot of different people breaking it down. It has film review to teach you kind of how to watch film, has player profiles, has player ranking cards, um, awesome graphics, everything else. So a lot, a lot, a lot of energy went into this rookie draft guide. So make sure you go get that. It is free. FSEStockExchange.com. Make sure you go grab that. All right, y'all, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure to leave a rate and review on the podcast and follow us on Instagram, fantasyfootball underscore TCKpod, on Twitter at TCK underscore pod, and find all of our rankings and updates coming up on TCKpod.com. We will also be discussing very quickly our draft guide that is going to be happening, our redraft and dynasty draft guide coming up with the TCK pod. So thank you for listening and tuning in to the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast. We will catch you next time. For Lucas Kaser, I'm Sky Guasco, and we are out of here. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.